Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. Willow Walsh. And Reagan Skaggs. And you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actually seek to engage with those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we're bringing you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled Bicultural in a Deaf Home and Words Have a Lot of Power. Um, So typically on the show, we play the stories and then pause and have a conversation about what we're hearing from the storyteller and sort of add in our own experience to that. Um, But Allison, you actually chose these two stories today. Did you want to talk about why you chose these? Well, it was... In large part, just like, can we do something we haven't talked about in a while or ever? I don't yeah. know if we've ever done this. This speaker will be talking about growing up in uh, with a deaf mother. Um, and so I thought, you know, we don't, we often forget about that difference, or maybe it's just not as popular to think about or talk about these days. So I thought it would be interesting to open that conversation up. Um, I also am teaching a course right now at the university on the power of language and the language of power. So it seemed like some of the themes that come up in these stories relate to conversations that I've been having with students in the classroom. And I thought it'd be interesting to maybe bring some of that experience in if it feels like timely and relevant to our conversation. Cool. Yeah. All right. So then this first story is titled Bicultural in a Deaf Home. I grew up with my mom um, for most of my life. She was a single mom and she's deaf. And so, but she's the only deaf daughter of a hearing family. And so she has three siblings who are all hearing and both of her parents who can hear. I do consider myself bicultural, um, probably more bicultural than bilingual. A lot of times when I was little, I had to interpret for my mom between restaurant waiters and um, the grocery store. Every time we would go out to a restaurant, like, because I could hear, but we're all signing usually, and you could hear people talking about, like, what's wrong with that family? I wonder how they drive. I wonder how do they do anything? I wonder where they work. And my mom has her master's in education and she teaches, so. Um, and I could hear them the whole time. So things like that, would they would happen a lot. She didn't want to force a difference. It was obvious enough already that she was deaf and we were hearing. She didn't want us to feel like she was forcing her deaf culture on us. One thing about deaf people that people assume a lot is they don't know how to read or write or that the old adage that deaf, dumb, and mute. Um, My mom can communicate well. I've met countless deaf people who they can communicate. It doesn't matter that they can't hear. It's not a disability to them. It's it's something to be proud of. And so I think that's something everyone else can learn from is to be proud of who you are, no matter what your weaknesses might be. Because I grew up in a bicultural home, for me, when I moved to a different culture, it's easier because I just I know my culture and I know what I grew up with. And then 
being around people with different cultures is not like a shock for me, and so maybe I don't notice it as much. I didn't grow up where everyone was the same, so I'm a very curious person. I'll always ask questions, and sometimes maybe it's dangerous, border's dangerous. I, I just want to learn. I care about other people, so I want to know. And so for me, for me, it's just when I encounter something new, I just ask because I'm open about my culture experiences. And I want you to ask me because I want to talk about it. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you also. And then if it's silent, well, that's what I grew up with, so it's fine. <laughs> People have always kind of assumed that I don't know anything about diversity. And they always seem a little shocked when I'm like, yeah, like I know what it's like to grow up with a different experience. And they're like, you don't get it. Like, it's different, so don't talk about it because you, you don't have the face or the there's no way you have the experience and so and then when it's the like actually like my mom's deaf it's like oh I think anyone can talk to diversity because they they grew up somewhere different than I did they ha grew up with different experiences than I did you don't have to like have been oppressed in the same way to understand anger or sadness or rejection you just have to no rejection, sadness, and anger. You don't have to have gone through it the same way. Hello, and welcome back to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, WVLP LP at 103.1 FM, and also streaming online at WVLP.org. And is this story new to either of you? No. This one's new to me. I don't okay. think I've heard this one. I think I know the speaker, but I do, yeah. <laughs> I do not know this particular story. Um, so do you, what just jumped out at you since this was a totally new story to you? Uh, that this person's deaf mother did not want to push her deaf culture on her hearing yeah. children. That mm -hmm. sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. Like what do you, why, why, I guess first, let's just start with why that jumps out. So I do my best to know things. Um, <laughs> I do my best to read and to like learn. Um, so I know like nominally that there's like a very separate deaf culture um, and like but communication style. Like functionally know that. Language. So I understand that. Like you can tell me that, but I don't know exactly what that means or what that looks like. And that's something I'm still in the process of learning about. So then, like, the fact that this person, one, like, deaf culture, it exists. It is a, a quantifiable entity. And two, it is something that, like, this parent felt like they needed or should keep from their child. Like, it is different enough that there would be, like, some kind of cultural split or, like, uh, I think the speaker says, a create a kind of difference. Yeah, she didn't want to force a difference. Like, so I, it is interesting because he doesn't really spell out features of deaf culture for us. So we're still left in the dark about it, at least from this particular story. But I think we might be able to figure out what he m means by she didn't want to force a difference. So I didn't hear him saying she doesn't want us to know deaf culture. Yeah. But there's something about like, if I were to force a difference so if i were to force you to participate in it you're going to maybe see yourself as different than your peers and maybe she was wary of doing that because they're having experiences like the one he describes in the restaurant like maybe we can unpack that experience a little bit and that might help us understand at least some of her anxiety or i don't know if that's the right word but Willow, how would you sort of describe what is happening in the restaurant? 
he's hearing people talk about um you know them as like a deaf family and like you know what do they do for a job how do they drive how do they do all this and it's interesting because like i think maybe without them sort of relaying that to their mom to his mom like he i like he's sort of the only one sort of catching that in that environment like he's the one hearing it his mom's not hearing it but he's hearing it so i don't know that sort of stuck out to me but maybe she's aware of it like yeah i think like and that's where her wariness about forcing deaf culture yeah i mean i think like yeah i mean i feel like she's definitely aware of it like she would be aware that people would talk about them or would sort of point at them as like difference but I think like maybe in the moment she doesn't always know yeah um so I mean although I think... she's pretty good at lip reading oh we don't find that out till the second story <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> but yeah but that he's sort of like already like despite her efforts to not for her to not quote-unquote force a difference so he doesn't feel different from his peers he is still experiencing these sort of like Mm -hmm. targeted things from people around him so i guess you can't totally shield your child you cannot shield your child (laughs) (laughs) i think that that does so this concept of like i i don't know this person i don't know the speaker i don't know the speaker's parent i agree with allison that it doesn't seem like the parent is being like no we cannot allow this child to participate in my culture or my culture is something to be shameful about. I'm not getting that vibe at all. Um, but I, it does remind me of, well, when I was a little baby gay and I was like reading all the things and, um, I picked up like this parenting book for gay parents of kids and like them talking about like how they try to shelter their children, not from the fact that they are gay because they're not like embarrassed, but the fact that like they are going to stick out and they know that their children are going to stick out because of a, a choice mm-hmm. that they've made. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the the situation that I'm I'm getting the feel for here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I um, this storyteller doesn't talk about this in terms of the mom's choice. Um, but it's definitely impacting him that the what he's picking up on from experiences like what's happening in the restaurant or a grocery store is that people see that um, they sign and that his mom, or maybe they assume they're all deaf. Mm-hmm. That might be happening too. Mm-hmm. And then be there's like assumptions that are based on that. Like they must be stupid. Mm-hmm. They must not be able to hear um, or talk or speak or like drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just very interesting that there's all these other abilities that as soon as one sort of typical sense is taken away, I would assume this might happen for blind folk too, that then there's all sorts of assumptions made about their cognitive ability and mm-hmm. in, in other ways too. It's, it's a very odd expansion of like one sense being limited to like intelligence being Mm -hmm. limited Mm -hmm. and um you know he the storyteller points out that his mom has a master's in education and teaches you know she's not somebody who doesn't work and um doesn't use her intelligence and her communication abilities in other ways so yeah i don't it was obvious enough already that she was deaf and we were hearing she didn't want us to feel like she was forcing her deaf culture on us. 
I am curious for him. It, this is something that this story doesn't address, so we can move on. But I wonder if he ever felt like he got to be a part of that mm-hmm. and and how he felt about that, like whether that was something he wanted to embrace and got to enjoy. Well, he does describe himself as bicultural. Yeah. So, so that would, yeah. I feel like there's something that he sort of adopted from that since he sort of like takes that identifier, that label. Uh, this, I don't know if it's worth pressing this, but he makes a distinction between being bicultural and bilingual. Do you uh-huh. think that tells us anything more? Like I'm assuming bilingual would mean I speak English and I know sign language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be trying to say there's something greater than just knowing a language. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was what, like what Reagan, you were saying earlier about like, there's a whole culture around like being deaf and like what it means to sort of participate in society as a deaf person. And so I think what he's pointing out is like, there is more than just a language. Like, I think like if I grew up until middle school in America and then instead of taking German here in Valparaiso in middle school like I went to Germany I mean I think that would be bicultural but if I actually learned how to speak German here in America Mm. through my high school years like I feel like that would be bilingual bicultural would be like actually being there and experiencing like what is beyond that language Mm -hmm. and sort of like where that language Mm -hmm. yeah so I think that's what he's sort of getting at there though Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's something more immersive about culture that it might be behaviors, it might be values, um, attitudes, and things like that that come with. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, I mean, living experience. there's so much more, right? Like, I mean, my grandma is deaf and she only reads lips. And so this pandemic has been horrible for uh, her. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, so it's like you think about that, but it's like, there's like, so it's not just like communicating with her. It's like, you also have to think about like, you know, you can't talk to her in the car or something because mm. she's not looking at mm-hmm. you. You can't talk to her when you're in the other room because she's not looking at you. And so it's like, there's like, because of that sort of like, because she can't hear, it changes our dynamic and it changes the way that I interact with my grandma versus how I interact with other people. And so I think maybe that's part of it too. It like, yeah. there's like other things that go around it. How does the storyteller explain that deafness is not a disability to deaf people? Cause I think he's pointing out how other people are making because yeah. of these assumptions, they clearly think it's disabling. He says, my mom can communicate well. I've met countless deaf people that can communicate. It doesn't matter that they can't hear. It's not a disability to them. It's something to be proud of. I'm wondering if we can get underneath that. It's not a disability to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I mean, I think there's, this makes me think of a couple of different things. Like on one hand, it's like, if you grew up deaf and interacting with people based on that lack of hearing, you're sort of... I don't know. It's just like, you're, that's just sort of second nature type thing. It's not as much of a disability because this is how you've learned to interact with the world. And so it feels more of like a, I guess it goes back to the cultural idea. Like it's just part of how you interact with people. And mm-hmm. that's different from people who can hear, but that's not like a, 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 a disability in that way. And then I also think about a broader conversation like in the cultural zeitgeist, I think about like what it means to 
be disabled and like are you really disabled or are you living in a system and an infrastructure that doesn't support you like it supports people with all five senses and is it not really a disability it's just nothing is made to cater to you like it is to other people and so I think it's part of that too yeah the social model of disability yeah like I am not a disabled person but I am a person that wears glasses but I am not considered disabled I do not consider myself disabled at all because society has accommodated me so much yes. and so yeah. easily for getting glasses that my lived experience is barely different than anybody else's lived experience who doesn't need glasses because mm-hmm. the social model that I currently live in supports that need with little to no question. Yeah. Whereas if you are a person who, especially in our society who has difficulty with mobility, we do not exist in a social model that accommodates that nearly as well or as seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is WVLP 103.1 FM, community-supported radio, and you can also find us streaming online at wvlp.org, where you'll also find a support button. Um, This is volunteer radio, and we could really use your financial support to keep shows like ours on the air. So today we are playing two stories from the same storyteller, which is a bit unusual for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And this speaker is reflecting in both stories on language and culture and how um, having been raised by a deaf mom, he is um, able to have experiences that other people raised by hearing parents don't. Yeah, so we've been thinking about the assumptions that people make of his mom and how our culture tends to put the disability on the person rather than seeing that it's the cultural environment that disables certain people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how does the what about the second part of of the story where he talks about being curious and how his curiosity for him is rooted in having been raised in a bicultural home how do you think that happens for him that the curiosity grows out of that situation of being in a bicultural home yeah for him I mean he's he says he's asking questions and he calls it dangerous I mean I think that might be interesting to to unpack that a little bit um but just saying that like he I mean, I think what I'm hearing here, he says, I didn't grow up where everybody was the same, so I'm really curious. I think what we're hearing is like, he noticed as he was growing up that people did things or communicated or what have you differently than he did. And so that created this sort of environment to where he was able to be curious because not everybody around him was doing the same thing. And I don't know if this is like a good metaphor, but I remember like going to Germany for the first time and like walking into a supermarket and everything was just weird. It's just like, you don't like, it's like, you don't expect it to be weird, but it's like, they don't have two liters. They have one liters and those bottles look weird. I don't know. So it's just like, so if you sort of walk into that environment where things are sort of new instead of, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's different. It's, I don't know, jarring. I mean, my experience was jarring, but it's like, you see sort of that disparity between your experience and what you're experiencing currently. And I think it allows you to have some of that room for curiosity to sort of ask questions and figure out why are things the way they are around you. I don't, for me, I felt like it was very like factual. 
um, I felt it like it was very like, okay, so I know that when I grew up and this is my bicultural experience of I behave one way at home and we do things one way at home. And then when I go out and about in the world, I have to do things differently. And especially like as a child and maybe even continuing as an adult, like you never know what sticks with you, um, from your childhood home. I have to also kind of re-navigate these spaces as a person who has a different understanding of what some of these spaces may look like at home or when I am with my parent. So I think there's like, absolutely, there's some, there's some delightful curiosity about things that are different from what you're used to. But I also think it's like practical. It's like, okay, so I need X, Y, and Z. And I understand that other people come from different cultural backgrounds and I'm not familiar with those. So I'm just going to ask you, do you need X, Y, and Z? Do you need Mm, A? mm. How about B? Okay, cool. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. You know what I mean? What, what what does he mean it borders on dangerous to be curious? He quickly turns it around again into, yeah, I just want to learn. But I feel like this is really important to our project to consider how curiosity might become dangerous at points because mm-hmm. when we're interviewing people about their lives, it, like... I mean, like my experience being the interviewer is like, I want to lead with my curiosity and display my ignorance sometimes so that I can help the person that I'm interviewing understand what, like, I don't have a container for yet. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So how, how could that get dangerous? Cause I feel like that's often advice that we end up giving from the welcome project to people when we do presentations and stuff like get curious, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. cause it sounds, it sounds neutral and positive, a way to encounter difference without, um, becoming defensive and reactive. Like I often offer that as an alternative to defensiveness. Well, what if you were curious about it instead? So, um, yeah, I don't know, Reagan, do you want to start? Like, are you thinking anything about how it might become dangerous or when and what situation it would be? Well, I think the speaker provides an example. Okay. Right. So he, (laughs) sorry, uh, but he's, uh, talking about his experience in a restaurant as a child with his family, his whole family signing, and he can hear all around him, people asking questions that, if we are feeling nice may not be fully interpreted as rude, but given the context in which they are asked, um, given in the fact that they are not actually directed at anybody, Mm -hmm. they're kind of directed at other ignorant people who can kind of perpetuate, uh, maybe some negativity. That's some, that's some cruel curiosity. Mm -hmm. That's not kind. That's not really actually, in my opinion, searching for answers That's searching for validity in your own, um, lack of understanding, which has its place, but maybe not in a public place while people are just trying to live their lives. Um, so that that's cruel. Like that's not kind. Um, and the assumption that probably many of these people have, just like you said, they may assume the whole family's deaf, which this isn't acceptable, even if the whole family is deaf for the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, they may assume they can't hear me. I can say what I want and I can speak as loudly as I would like. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know those things, but there are platforms and uh, acceptable ways to knowing those things. And then there is gawking at strangers in public and making a a display of that curiosity. So that's a place where curiosity can be cruel. And I think that we all, especially if we are conscious of that, or we have been on the receiving end of that, we are all cognizant of how cruel certain types of curiosity can be. And uh, nobody, I mean, hopefully nobody wants to participate in that way. I mean, we have talked on this show before about how for people of color, for queer folk, 
um, you know, constantly getting asked questions, especially ones that are based in bias. Like, so, you know, somebody finds out that one of our storytellers grew up in Gary and suddenly it's like, oh, have you witnessed any shootings? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a curious question, I suppose, but it's like informed only by stereotypes of Gary and maybe stereotypes of the person that's standing before them. Also, we've talked about how um, even well-intentioned people, like if we're talking race, we're talking white people, because that would be the dominant culture um, for white supremacy. The responsibility to learn more about how power and privilege operate in a society that has racial hierarchies, that has placed white above all other racial types, um, that maybe needs to be done by you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you're not overburdening, whether in this case people of color and in the case of homophobia, queer folk, you're not overburdening them with like having to explain themselves. Like, I think maybe that's where it gets dangerous. If it suddenly ends up like, it's not like you're sharing your story anymore or even like sharing experiences that are important to you, but you're suddenly like somehow explaining. You're justifying yeah, your and that, existence and your group's existence. And then you can still feel the, the hierarchy or the power imbalance that's operating at that, that level. Um, what about if it's dangerous for the, in this case, the storyteller? Like, cause I, I immediately thought he was thinking it was dangerous to be curious for the person that's getting asked the questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wonder, is there any danger in being the curious one? Does he indicate that at all too? I don't think he says anything about that, but I think it's in the, in the same vein to where it's like, you don't want to be, I mean, it sounds like he's very cognizant that other people have different experiences. And so he doesn't want to be probably the jerk who like asks questions that aren't, you know, that are sort of rooted in stereotypes or, or rooted in what we just talked about. And so it's kind of dangerous because then if you're asking that question and then the person sort of responds with, oh, you know, it's not great to be that person asking those questions. Like so. exposing yourself potentially? Or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think exposing yourself, but then, you know, not just exposing your own ignorance, but um, doing it in a way that's sort of painful and traumatic to the other person. Mm-hmm. Like you said about like asking like somebody from Gary, like, oh, how many shootings have you seen? Like, I don't know. That just shows that you're not that caring and empathetic, I think. I don't know. I guess that's my definition of danger. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. being seen as not caring and empathetic, but... Mm, I don't know. I think it can also just be... Um, if you are in a, a position of authority, right, and um, whether that authority be helping authority or an authoritative authority or both, whatever... Um, Wait, what's the difference? <laughs> like, if you're like, I'm thinking, I guess specifically, like, okay, you are a teacher, you are a social worker, you are a medical professional, you are in a helping profession, you have to get in people's business. Um, and I am also thinking of people who are just like, you are a manager at a job, like okay, typical okay. type of thing. You are an authority, and there are times when it is going to be, especially in the helping professions, it's going to be necessary Mm -hmm. to ask very intimate questions um, that you do not just go up to somebody and ask. And a lot of times you have to ask these really intimate questions quickly. It's not a situation where I know I have known Willow for years and I can ask Willow a personal question 
And we have built a trust and a mutual respect and a love for one another where even if my question is hurtful to her, she will be like, no, I do not want to talk about this. Or we will have a slow conversation about that built on a relationship that we've built over years. Mm -hmm. You might have just met this person. It's an intake at a hospital situation. And now I have to ask you very intimate, very personal questions in a venue that is likely not completely private. Mm. And then if you do that incorrectly, now you have lost this person's trust and you may have lost the ability to do what you need to do. And that is, that is also dangerous. That is Mm. also scary and unpleasant. Yeah. And dangerous to the person being asked the questions in a different way, because it Mm -hmm. might keep them accessing, uh, resources that they need in that case. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting this station by visiting our website, wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax deductible. We'd sure appreciate it. And this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. We have the full team here today. I'm Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And we've been discussing stories from a storyteller reflecting on his growing up bicultural in a deaf home. Um, I think before we move on to the second story from this same storyteller, I wanted to ask you all about the, the, the last part of this story. And I think for this part to make sense, um, listeners, you need to know that on our website where you can find all of our stories, welcomeproject.valpo.edu. Um, this story is not an audio story. It's a video. And so, um, the picture that people would see of the storyteller is of a white man who's youngish, maybe in his thirties. And as he's talking, he's also sometimes signing. So that might help in terms of some context for when he says, uh, people have always kind of assumed I don't know anything about diversity and they always seem a little shocked when I'm like yeah I know what it's like to grow up with a different experience what do you think he's getting at there oh go for it (laughs) I have a a big issue with the way that diversity has been used okay because I feel like one it's become a market term and that makes me inherently cranky as a human being (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that fair um and then with that, I think that we've stripped the word diversity of what we intended it to mean. Uh, and now it purely means skin color, which that is extremely important. Please do not misunderstand. Like diversity of race, diversity of ethnicity is vital. Um, but it means a lot. And I think also when we talk about we use diversity in that way, we forget that people of color are diverse in other ways. Mm-hmm. There are deaf, like, Hispanic people they have a multitude of cultural experiences besides being a Hispanic person um so diversity as a word which should mean there are multitudes of experience and you need multitudes of experience in any given setting in order to make sure that setting is one accessible and two is representative of Mm -hmm. the needs of like say a community 
now people have boiled it down to to one thing and i think we are poorer for it mm-hmm. and i think that's what the speaker is talking about to a degree well said <laughs> i mean i feel like we just end the show there and go home for the day and let our listeners simmer in that um yeah no i i really appreciate that i one of the things that just always gets my hackles up is when people talk about we need to get some diverse people into the oh, room. God, I'm like, you, you can't, it's not an adjective. <laughs> um, which I think what that points out is, um, Resma Menachem, who's, um, a, like a therapist, psychologist, and does somatic stuff, especially around racialized bodies, talks about the, that term diversity and says like diverse from what, mm-hmm. right? Cause there is still, in the way it's been marketed, in our use of this term to try to make it pleasant, um, is a sense that it's still operating. Everything's diverse from the norm, as opposed to what we would want to be able to say, which is that, um, when you have difference in a room, you have diversity in a room. And as you put it so well, Reagan, that is a value that means people, have access to a platform for sharing their experiences. And then um, it's representative of the experiences of a community in, in such a way that we can make sure we're not missing perspectives that need to be um, heard and maybe, a, you know, resourced or something like that. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think his, his comment goes to the point that people see him as a white man and they're going to assume everything else about him is probably normative too. And then, so like, what do you have to add to this conversation mm-hmm. about diversity? Mm-hmm. You're the standard bearer. Um, so yeah, I, I think, how did you, how did you respond to his way that he tells people like, mm, actually my mom is deaf. Now I might be adding a little <laughs> bit more swag to that than he actually did, but I feel like, I feel like he's intending to poke people a little bit mm-hmm. when the way he says it, but I don't know, like, what do you make of his, um, you know, I think anyone can talk to diversity because they grew up somewhere different than I did. Mm-hmm. They grew up with different experiences than I did. You don't have to have been oppressed in the same way to understand anger or sadness or rejection. You just have to know rejection, sadness, and anger. You don't have to have gone through it in the same way. Like, how are you, how does that land um, in terms of, especially we've been talking, this is, this is to go, you know, this is interpreting now, right? We're stepping away from the storyteller, but, um, you know, we've started to talk about how this has been politicized, right? The term diversity. So I, I wonder in that context, um, which we're thinking about a lot at the Welcome Project, how his final comments land with you. Willow, are you thinking something you can articulate yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think he makes a good point in saying that everybody sort of grows up with different experiences, so we're all sort of bringing a different lens in. And I remember when we were on Civic at Valparaiso University, and I better um, say what that is. So oh, <laughs> okay, it's a um, commission for an inclusive Valparaiso community, right? Um, and then so. Um, one person that was in that commission was um, talking about how. Oh man, I am just losing it. You made me say the acronym. Oh shoot! I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. But um, oh 
man, just like how trying to have it come back to me. Reagan, you go. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's come back. I apologize. I hate when that happens. My initial thought is um, it's it's a little bit giving everybody use queer vibes. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? Where it's like, well, if you think about it, everybody's on this, which sure, but that's not the point. Um, and I, I get where he's coming from. And he has, he has, again, as this person who has like a more bicultural experience and who may have um, like more sensitivity because they have this experience that is like frequently ignored. Like I get it um, to the extent that I can get it. Obviously I am not this person. But it's it's rub, it's giving that a little bit, um, and I don't love that. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the time, and what the speaker kind of seems to be getting at, and what you definitely, I feel like we're getting at with your, you get annoyed when people say we need diverse people in the thing. Is I think people, particularly privileged people, particularly privileged white people, need to get used to speaking what they mean. So, like, mm-hmm. if you have an organization. And you're like, there are not a lot of people of color in my organization. There are not a lot of queer people. There are not a lot of disabled people in my space. Or let's say it's a queer space, okay? A queer space, like a a racially diverse queer space. And um, you look around and you realize like, wow, I know there are queer disabled people in my community and they're not here. That needs to be a call in moment. One where you specifically name, we want to be more welcoming and accommodating to queer disabled people. And two, that needs to be a call in of what do I as an organizer or what does my community as an organizer or organization need to do to accommodate X. And so... I like what the speaker is saying. It's like, well, you can't assume diversity. Diversity looks a lot of, of a lot of different ways, and it's important to acknowledge and move forward with that. I don't love that it's put as like a gotcha type of thing, but I might be nitpicking, and I acknowledge that. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, because he names specific human experiences and emotions, anger, sadness, or rejection. Like, anybody can have those experiences. You don't have to have been oppressed to have them. Um, at the same time, then he seems to be just because he's going to that interpersonal level, he seems to just be equalizing experiences, which I think makes us uncomfortable when, cause part of what we want to do with this project is be able to look at and name power and privilege and how that impacts whose voices are really heard and listened to. So I, I do think it maybe he kind of does a level of the playing field. Like we all have something that we can talk about. And because we're coming from different backgrounds, that will mean we are contributing to the diversity of the room. Mm -hmm. And so that part all sounds good. But if you're just like forgetting that some people might not feel empowered enough to speak in that space, or some people might not have been invited into that space, then you're missing out on part of like, what makes diversity hard to actually cultivate? So I don't know. Does that speak to Reagan? Some of you are like, or am I naming something different? No, I think that we're speaking on the same thing. And I guess like you're coming at it from um, people who are not currently empowered. And I'm saying, I guess I would feel more that there are people who are already empowered who might feel or continue to feel over empowered in a space that is meant for people that are less empowered. Mm. Um, and as a white lady, um, I think that a lot of checking that privilege, it comes with discomfort 
and comes with acknowledging that you might be the loudest person in the room and that's not always appropriate. Even if you are of a diverse background or of a diverse experience, um, I still have privilege. I may be like a queer woman. I may be a mentally ill queer woman, but I still am a white woman Mm. and walking into a space that's say, let's specifically garnered towards like mental illness or queerness. I'm going to have more privilege in that space than let's say a trans like person of color. And I need to acknowledge that. And I need to know that I need to maybe be quieter in that space, despite that space also being for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So to ensure the breadth of diversity gets heard you you might have to step back even though you could contribute to the diversity in the room Mm -hmm. did your thought come back to you okay (laughs) i was i was coming i was talking about the like the levels of diversity so i remember this person in civic was talking about how like the board at valparaiso university was really excited because they were diversifying even though i think it's like an entirely white board but it's because they were all white Protestants and they had like brought in a Catholic or something. And, (laughs) but it's just like, you know, it's like, that is a level of diversity. I mean, like not that like one Catholic person in this, in this space, but it's like, yes, if you get a group of like straight cis white Christian people in a room, yes, there is still going to be diversity among their experiences and you know, how they relate to each other. But it's like, again, it's the same thing you guys have said. It's like, there's a power and privilege to that versus, you know, a group of like, I don't know, like queer people, like people of non-Christian faith. Like, it's just like, it's like, while there can be diversity, it's like, they're still in that group of like cis white people. It's you, you're still holding a lot of power and privilege. And, and just because like he says, just because those people might've gone through at anger, sadness, or rejection, doesn't mean they're going to hear, you know, a welcome project story of a Gary resident and immediately connect their personal experience of anger, sadness, and rejection and empathize with the storyteller and Gary, because they're still holding on to this sort of like Mm. white privilege that they have in their experiences while they're still maintaining that diversity amongst themselves as white people you're still having that element of, of power and privilege. And so I really took issue with his final line there. You don't have to have gone through it the same way, which is just, oh, this keeps coming back up in the show, which I disagree. I just, I feel like, yes, I think because like maybe you have a group of white people and there is diversity within that. And there's people who have experienced anger, sadness and rejection. And I think that's a perfect grabbing point for a facilitated conversation to mm-hmm. help people think about that experience and relate it to other people in order to sort of cultivate empathy. But I don't believe that just because you have gone through anger, sadness and rejection that you immediately will empathize to people who have like are speakers for the invisible project or you know like ex- people's experience continuing to live in gary post white flight like it just because you have those experiences you still need to do a lot of work if you are in that privileged you know like set if you're a white person if you're a christian person if you're a straight person if you're a cisgender person you still have work to do to be able to make that leap and to empathize with people who don't have the same sort of privileges that you have so there's a there's a disparity so i think i agree with you reagan and allison it's not on the same level you can still be diverse in a room full of white people but that doesn't necessarily get you the sort of social capital you need to sort of bridge those empathy gaps I think yeah especially when 
for those of us who are interested in social justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's add in the, the second story here. Yeah. Um, it's called Words Have a Lot of Power. My belief is that words have a lot of power behind them, right? And so for my RAs, it was important for me to tell them that everything they do has a purpose behind it. And so they go every night, they have to walk the building to make sure it's safe, and they have to talk to residents, and their main goal for their job is to build community. So why should we call it rounds? Like, it sounds boring. It sounds awful. <laughs> um, so we call it community walks, because that's what you're doing. You're walking the building, and you're talking. That's all you're doing. You're not looking for trouble. You're just looking to talk. And so they really have taken that like, and ran with it. And they, they have all kinds of names for it now. So <laughs> friendship walks, <laughs> fun walks, whatever they want. <laughs> How I make meaning in this world goes back to where I grew up with my mom and being deaf and me being hearing. And our communication, we, it had meaning. The, I could sign something wrong and meant it the right way, but it could be wrong and come off awfully. <laughs> so or vice versa, if I was just using my words with my mom and not signing, it might be harder to communicate the real purpose. I think I remember like late elementary school, so maybe fifth grade, fourth grade, um, is where I realized that my mom was deaf and that wasn't normal. Not everyone else had that experience. And so it was because we were learning about where to go if there's a fire in your house. <laughs> and so my immediate reaction is my mom's not going to hear the alarm. So this whole having a meeting place outside, like that's not applicable to me. But I was too scared to ask the people presenting, teaching us um, what I should do because I didn't know and I knew they weren't going to know. And so I waited until I went, got home and asked my mom what our plan was. And she said we had a system in place where the lights would flash and she would know it's a fire. She's not like deaf to her senses. She can feel still. <laughs> I think like when all my friends and I, we started listening to music and all of my friends were like, oh, well, I have to listen to my mom's music in the car or I can't listen to music after a certain time. And maybe this is a negative thing, but I was like, well, I can. <laughs> like, my mom doesn't care what music I listen to. She can't hear it. She doesn't care what we listen to in the car because it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I think in that moment, it was cool to have a deaf mom, <laughs> but in a negative way at the same time. I think there are other ways in which we used our mom being deaf as a way to get out of things, or it was easier when we were mad like to walk away and you could still say something. And it was behind her back, but you said it out loud. Um, well, one time she caught me because <laughs> my mom can lip read very well. Um, she's very good at oral communication. That was part of her growing up. She had to become, she had to be able to speak and she had to be able to read lips and communicate with hearing people. So um, one time she turned around and saw what I was saying and that taught me not to do it again. <laughs> I didn't really understand that that was how we communicated and so it wasn't fair to take advantage of it. I think when she turned around and caught like me saying something, it made her question like, what communication do we not have? And what, like, why would I choose to take advantage of that moment instead of just explain to her that I was mad? And so realizing that I should just be open and it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I was mad or not. And 
to not take advantage of that communication between us. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio at WVLP LP 103.1 FM and streaming online at WVLP.org. Um, we are playing two stories today from the same storyteller who is um, a person who grew up in, with a deaf mother. Uh, he himself is hearing, and so we're all his siblings. Um, so in this case, he's reflecting a little bit on, on how that experience has primed him to understand the power of words, the power of language, the power of communication. So I don't know, again, maybe just as a starting point, things that popped out to you before I go probing with my questions. <laughs> I mean, I love in the first paragraph when he talks about like how he explains to the RAs to, I don't know, sort of frame the walks and that it's like, it's not rounds, it's, you know, friendship walks or something. So they don't go looking for trouble. I thought that was really interesting. And it made me think of like our police. And I just watched a horrible documentary (laughs) where somebody like a Twitch streamer, like called the SWAT team on some poor person's house and the SWAT team showed up and killed him and it like it was a random address that they had given and so they just shot the person the SWAT team had just shot the person who opened the door and so it's just like you know if, if you're sort of like in that space in that like you're angry you're you're there to be a cop you're there to enforce power you're there to you know it's like you're going to be trigger happy at the end of the day so I don't know that's <laughs> that's what it made me think of like if you if you frame something going looking for trouble you're gonna find it versus Mm -hmm. if you're going there to communicate to make connections go on a community walk to be there with your purpose of connecting with people then that's what you're going to end up doing how about you reagan I had a completely different thing. Although, yes, I don't know. One, I was an RA, and we did not call it community walks. We still called it rounds. Um, but, but two, um, my thing is just, like, how, like, hurtful we often are, all of us are, as children. <laughs> it just made me think of the ways that, in, in similar ways, I hurt my mom. You know what I mean? So that was my takeaway. It was a little more selfish, but... Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, we don't have to totally jump in right there, Um, but I was trying to better understand how he thinks of it's cool to have a deaf mom because she can't hear your music, so you can play it whatever you want, and you can play it whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And then in his end reflection, he's like, "Mm, maybe that's a negative? Mm -hmm. Like, what is he... I think that's connected to what you're noticing, Reagan. So I'm like, what does he mean? Like a negative thing that it's cool to have a deaf mom. Like, how is it negative if it's cool? It's easier. I mean, for me, if this is the path we're going down, um, it's easier for me to make sense in kind of like the opposite way where like things maybe that were bad happened to you or like you were part of things that were harmful to you and you understand that now as an adult. But that doesn't mean you don't have positive memories around it. Mm. Um, And I'm not saying that having a deaf parent is a negative thing, just that like things that maybe... We should not be like, oh, that was cool. Like, it was really cool that my mom couldn't hear my music, so I could just blare my music all the time. Um, That's pretty benign in the the scale of things versus, like, maybe sayings. Like, some hurtful things to your parent because they cannot hear you. Um, So, like, and I think we all have those things. I have a friend who grew up, like, way more evangelical than I did. And so she obviously has a fair amount of religious trauma. 
but she's lovely and um we both of us really have a great time singing our youth group um songs that we used to do all the time because it's fun so like was this experience like maybe not great but maybe the benignly fun part was like being able to just walk up to her and sing a random part of a stupid hymn that i don't remember the name of and like we both know all the little like signs for it and all the stupid things like it's a benignly thing that and it wasn't ultimately a positive situation so it's a benignly negative thing that maybe this child did um in the context of maybe a wider thing that he grew to be cognizant of and that's part of growing up yeah because he talks about it later in the context of taking advantage of Mm -hmm. her being deaf and so I do think you're right because the music one is benign and probably his mother was grateful (laughs) (laughs) she also did not have to experience his music but then the fact that he took advantage of her not being able to hear him when her back was to him and then he could say the hurtful thing out loud that he was thinking and it seemed like based on the story he told here that the moment of getting caught in it was the moment of really recognizing that that was an icky way of taking advantage of your mother Mm -hmm. not being able to hear you it's like turning something that should be i I don't know, this is going to sound weird, but neutral or normal and making it, rendering it like painful Mm -hmm. as opposed to honoring that it's just like, here's the way that we have to communicate in our family based on all of who we are together. Um, And you're twisting, twisting that so that you can, I don't know, get your anger out or something like Mm -hmm. that. I don't know. I just I sort of took it as like he, um, you know, in the car when they're listening to music, it's like there's a there's a missed moment of connection there. It's like mm. you can't sort of have that conversation in the moment of like, I don't want to listen to System of a Down. <laughs> that was that targeted, off. dear listeners. That was targeted. <laughs> but, <laughs> and so it's just like, so you kind of miss that sort of like back and forth um, a little bit. And so I think that's sort of, in my mind, that's how it was the negative. It was like, cool, I got to do this. But I, you know, it's mm. like, oh, I didn't get to have that conversation with my mom because we can't like acknowledge that together. I did that to my grandma growing up with my cousins we would roll down the windows of her giant honda odyssey van and yell hey michael jackson at people and i have no (laughs) idea why we did that um but she couldn't hear us (laughs) yeah i think that's actually a really good place to bring it to a close because he does say at the end of the story that whatever he was feeling in the moment that was motivating him to talk behind her back like that didn't get addressed. Mm -hmm. And so they had an opportunity to mend something in their relationship that just doesn't even get noticed then. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, before we head out today, we would encourage you to please check out WVLP's full schedule of shows at WVLP.org. We highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8, and you can hear it again Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9. Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color, especially African-American communities within Western culture. Um, Morning Black provides a platform 
platform for discussing issues and problems that inhibit equality and justice in the African-American community. And that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are open for business at their locations in downtown Valpo on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support. 